This is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. We've circled, of course, Gene, back to the true definition of a recession many times, which, as we've said often, uh, two back-to-back quarters of GDP contraction. Last week, we decided to settle on the word recession-ish, and I'm going to take full credit for that. I'm going to trademark that because I think every day it becomes more and more relevant because while there's obviously this contraction in the economy, other inputs that we've talked about are still strong. I mean, the jobs report, amazing, uh, beating projections by a lot. So it's really why I'm very excited to talk to our guest today. William Lee is the chief economist at the Milken Institute. Mr. Lee, it's so nice to have you. Thanks for talking with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, listen, you you did an interview with MarketWatch recently, and you, you said this recession is predominantly a white-collar recession. And then you talked about why it's not really a blue-collar recession. Can you start by explaining that to me? It's always dangerous when an economist says, I think there's slight differences this time. And and let me try to explain. Well, this distinction between who gets hurt most by this recession we're in uh, is really where I'm focusing on. Uh, Traditionally, for, for decades now, we've always thought the people who are most vulnerable to a downturn, a recession or, or, or worse, uh, would be people whose employers view their employees as transactions people. That is, people that they can get rid of quickly and they can hire back quickly if they need to. And traditionally, that's been the blue-collar worker, the warehouse worker, the truck driver, the taxi cab driver, uh, people who, whose relationship with their employer that's based purely on transactions. Uh, well, right now, it seems like the labor market has turned considerably post-COVID. The workers most desired and, and in shortest supply are the warehouse workers, the blue-collar workers. Whereas on the flip side, in the past, the white-collar worker, someone who takes a while to get on board, someone who, who's uh, got some skills like accounting and, and, and other office uh, management skills, they have always thought to be protected because employers were hesitant to get rid of them at at a downturn because it took time to reacquire. Well, what's happened post-COVID is that a lot of companies have increased their investment in productivity, uh, raised the requirements for their workforce to the point where the low-level white-collar worker, the the data entry person who is doing um, relatively menial office chores, that person has become much more of a transactions person now in the eyes of this company. So what I think is going to happen this time, and the evidence seems to be shouting that way, is the most desired workers to hang on to during a downturn are the truck drivers, the Amazon warehouse workers, who, by the way, the Amazon warehouse worker today is not just anybody who can drive a forklift, but someone who can actually operate that massive computer panel to handle all that automated equipment getting stuff from one place to another, or else a very young Amazon warehouse worker who's able to rollerblade effectively. So you've got, you've got um, very much of a huge shift in that labor force. And what's happened is that um, Chair Powell has talked about, my God, this is such a tight labor market. There are two vacancies for every unemployed person. How many times have you heard that? We've heard it so many times. And, and Soledad and I, we both have children um, who are either in college or just out of college. And as I listen to you talk about these young white-collar workers who are most in jeopardy of of losing their jobs at, at this point in time, 
makes me very fearful for our kids and for this this generation that's already been hit by a one-two punch of the pandemic. Is is that how you see it? Is it these young college grads who are going to have the toughest time? The young college grad who comes out of school without a specific skill, the, the traditional liberal arts, humanities major, uh, the philosophy major, <laughs> um, and, and, and so on, even, even on, uh, on the technical side, the engineering graduate um, who doesn't come out with the right set of engineering skills uh, will be the one who's going to be most affected because technology has shifted so much now. And, and what's in demand are, for example, people who can write, people who can actually encapsulate a narrative in, in, in a compelling paragraph or set of paragraphs. That person is in high demand. But if you're just a regular English major uh, and you can't demonstrate, I can help you market, I can help you uh, develop strategic plans to, to your shareholders as well as your, your potential clients, then it's going to be very hard to find a job. Is it particular sectors of these young white collar workers? And what degree is the pandemic responsible for this? In the past, white collar workers were salarymen. Uh, or salary women or salary people. And now the gig economy has entered the service sector, has entered the workplace where the salary person no longer has to show up in an office, but can be done at home. And, and that allows companies to break down jobs into essentially piecework, um, which is something that we have traditionally associated with the, um, the blue collar sector. Flip side of that, the blue collar worker, the, the Amazon warehouse wants that guy to be there um, to handle the, all the incoming orders. And it's going to take time to retrain that person if that person leaves, uh, uh, retrain a, a new worker. So we have a, a flip in the sort of workplace dynamics now where the commoditization of a lot of white collar jobs because of uh, software changes in business models and, and other kind of productivity enhancing investments that companies have made has turned the, the nature of vulnerabilities across the different occupations. And, and I, I think the, the ones, the safest workers out there right now are, are truck drivers because uh, they're in such high demand and there are so few of them. And, and on the flip side, so many accounting firms are outsourcing their data entry and, and other lower level jobs to these specialists. When we first started talking about the gig economy, we talked about it as if it was going to be just a moment a moment in time. And as the years have gone by, it's become very clear that this is something that has staying power. As you look at this shift in the desirability of blue collar workers over white collar workers, is this a trend that you think has legs or is this, is this just a moment? It's part of the pendulum readjusting itself. The pendulum went too far in one direction. It became for almost for a decade or two, uh, totally undesirable to be a blue collar worker, a truck driver, or in, in one of the trade crafts. Uh, and so we, we have a shortage of people there, but the demand has grown and it's grown in a much more sophisticated way. As I said, the, the Amazon worker uh, is no longer a forklift driver, but someone who is able to handle a computerized uh, gathering system. So, so I think th this shift is something that's permanent and will be much more long-lasting and will continue to have very profound changes in uh, the, the increased vulnerability of certain occupations as they become more commoditized and, 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 and pushed out to the gig economy and others will be brought into that relationship kind of employment uh, that we saw in the past that was exclusively white-collar workers. 
We're talking to William Lee. He's the chief economist at the Milken Institute. And I coined, I'm taking full credit, actually, uh, that I coined the term recession-ish because it always felt to me that we were always kind of hedging and hawing and humming around where we were exactly. Do you think that that is is accurate? And, And where do you think... It goes. I mean, it seems like there's so much contradiction in all of these various inputs that we get to figure out where the economy really is. Some are how people feel. Some are uh, some of these volatile um, things that we watch. We were talking a little bit earlier about uh, uh, energy. We were talking a little bit earlier about services or talking earlier about food, you know, all these things that are fairly volatile. But it feels like it's all over the place. How do you see it? Soledad, I love your term recession-ish because essentially it allows everyone in the general public to be part of what we used to call pro-talk, talk among economists and policymakers. All my time at the central bank, whether it's the Federal Reserve or talking to central banks around the world while I was at the IMF. And so right now, uh, the Federal Reserve is, is worried that we have way too high inflation that has spread into those persistent core sectors like rents and medical care and, 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 um, and other uh, uh, like mechanical services like automotive services. Those have, have, have been growing and even with the latest report continue to grow. Uh, and, and what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is to say we are going to nail inflation back down to 2% and do whatever it takes. And they, they need to have the credibility to do that. And so whether or not we, the recession enters into the, their, their, their calculus or not is something that um, uh, they will consider because they do have deal mandate, maximum employment and price stability. But the degree to which they worry about maximum employment uh, is less now because the labor market numbers seem incredibly good. But the ish comment that you made is very relevant here because what matters is how people react. And consumers right now are saying, my budgets are stretched. I can't spend as much as I want to. In fact, I have to shift my spending onto the necessities of life, like gasoline and food and and housing. That's where we're going to get the slowdown that will make the ish much more in the direction of downturn and, and a traditional recession. And that's what the Fed is going to be on the watch for. But only some of those workers, right? Because it seems to me, I mean, I drive by signs every day. And you're right. People are trying to poach Blue call, literally, if you have a commercial driver's license, come here and we will pay you more than whatever it is you're making right now. So it, it seems to me that a lot of those folks are, are feeling very sought after and are feeling don't necessarily feel that the economy is good, but but their personal economy is quite good. Right. Having 10 people who want to hire you tomorrow is a pretty great place to be in. And there are some uh, young investment bankers out there who have been doing M&A and, and other type of stuff where they're getting six-figure salaries who are saying, hey, I'm going to be cut because we're not doing M&A anymore. I've been watching the other side of the equation, um, William. I've been watching the climbing consumer debt numbers and the drop in the personal savings rate. Are you worried that we're heading into... A, a time when the balance sheets of consumers are are going to get um, to a precarious or unstable position, or you know, are consumers just taking on too much coming out of this pandemic? 
Jane, from your mouth to God's ear, because I've been saying exactly that as a vulnerability to this um, so-called expansion we have. Because every economist out there that I know has focused on the strong consumer and, and how we have a lot of savings that we can spend out of. And, and I just looked at those rising debt numbers and said, the rich might be able to have enough to spend, but certainly a huge part of the population, especially in the bottom half of the income distribution, those people are starting to live paycheck to paycheck and they're starting to tap into credit cards. And that to me is a sign that consumers are getting stretched and they're having to stretch because their incomes, the two jobs they got are still not enough to pay for the inflation in food prices and in gasoline and rent. What do you think the move is for consumers? What's the best thing for consumers and investors to try to do? For consumers that have wealth um, of some sort and have savings and they've somehow prepared for retirement, so those people are, are in good shape and to the extent they get better advice, they'll be in better shape. But too many people have not prepared for retirement, don't have a cushion to fall back on. So if they're laid off, they really will be in dire straits. And, and so I think that's the, the, the policy question that the Fed and central banks around the world are facing. How do you get rid of the inflation, um, blowing demand by inducing a downturn, but at the same time, not hurt that part of the population that is so vulnerable right now? So where do we go from here? Are we headed into a, a recession that's more severe? Do you think, watching the Fed, that they're going to be successful in, in wrestling this to some sort of a softer, soft-ish landing? Well, Gene, it's going to be a race between how fast inflation comes down and, and how many layoffs have to be induced in order to let that happen and to reassure the Fed the downturn in inflation will be permanent and lasting. And, and that is a question that no one can answer because, quite frankly, a lot of it depends on where the global supply chain is. Uh, to what extent will we be able to get goods and services on track again. And right now, I don't have high hopes for that. And that's why a lot of people are betting on the onshoring of supply chains to try to have more security and safety uh, and soundness in those supply chains. Whether or not we have a full-blown recession now, we will have one eventually. So how do consumers make sure that they are prepared or at least as prepared as we can be? The only way to survive a recession is to have financial buffers. So the trick is to be literate enough about our financial world to know that you not only have to save money, but you know how to put it to work in a way that would best serve you uh, in an emergency or in times that are very difficult, especially when layoffs start to accumulate. William Lee, you make a great point, which is information and access to information is absolutely key. And there are great resources, right? As, as you have mentioned, Milken Institute itself has lots of resources to help people who are trying to become more financially literate. And of course, Edelman Financial Engines has hundreds, literally hundreds of wealth planners if you just feel like you need someone to walk you through. So William Lee, the chief economist at the Milken Institute, nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, William. Is your retirement withdrawal strategy built for a looming recession? Do you know which accounts you should draw from first? What are common pitfalls? How can you minimize your tax bite? I'm Isabel Barrow, Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner and co-host here on Everyday Wealth. I invite you, our listeners, to join Edelman Financial Engines on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern 
for our timely virtual event, Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy. You can register for free at planefe.com. We'll look at financial pitfalls to avoid and how to help make sure your financial plan is built to last. Whether it's sequence of withdrawals, when to start taking Social Security, or staying diversified, we'll help you understand the steps you can take to make sure your financial plan can work for you. Don't miss this important virtual event. Join us for Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. There's no cost to attend and no obligation. Register now at planefe.com. That's planefe.com.